2: From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Mark Nepo, is a beloved teacher, poet, and author of the New York Times bestseller, The Book of Awakening. He's also a regular columnist for Spirituality and Health Magazine, and his new book is Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. You can read Mark's essay, Our Walk in the World, in the July-August issue of Spirituality and Health. Mark Nepo, welcome to the
1: podcast. Oh, thank you. It's great to be with you.
2: Yeah, we were almost together a couple of weeks ago. We were both at Chautauqua. I showed up, I think, on Tuesday, and you had just left?
1: Yeah, and I just left Tuesday. I'm surprised we didn't meet in the airport. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I, I wasn't sure if I was should take that personally. You just wanted to get out of town before I showed up,
1: or no, no, not at all.
2: <laughs> but we both were were absent when Salman Rushdie was attacked. So, oh my god, yeah. So I don't know if you have anything you want to say about that before we jump into the book,
1: but well, I, I you know, I do, and 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 it it ties into the book. You know, as we get into you know, I try in the beginning of the book, I mean, I don't have any answers. I'm just as frustrated as everybody else. But I try with the first part of the book, as you know, to give my own kind of guess at diagnosing how we are where we are in the last couple of hundred years. And, and one thing that keeps coming back, which I felt so much about, the attack on Salman Rushdie, which echoes with the insurrection, is there seems to be that a good portion of our society globally has been severed from their direct connection to life. And so, therefore, there's a loss of reverence of life. And regardless of the cause or the seeming reason for such violence, there is such disassociation. I mean such uh, you know I was uh, when, when I saw as if so many people did the insurrection on live on TV I was so stunned by the kind of barbaric violence and at the same time all these people are photographing themselves there's this, this <laughs> know, it's question, ridiculous. Like, like they're like they're in a, a video game they can't tell between life and reality and and I think the same, Kind of strange thing happened in this barbaric attack on Salman Rushdie, and yeah, you know, and I, and I think this isn't just my thought, but in many traditions, violence is is often the last attempt to feel. Mm. You know, you you write in
2: the beginning of Surviving Storms, you use the phrase a collapse into narrowness and a contraction into cruelty. I'm paraphrasing. And, And that's, that. I feel the same way. I was wondering if, you know, back in the 1950s, Albert Einstein had a letter published in the New York Times. It was a letter he wrote to a rabbi who had contacted him when the rabbi's son died. And Einstein was trying to, Well, I don't know what the Einstein was trying to do, but in the letter, (laughs) in the letter, he wrote about what he called delusion of consciousness an optical delusion of consciousness Mm. that causes us to see things as other, you know, that we, we, you know, this disconnect between us and aliveness or us in life. Einstein was suggesting that it's built into our psyche through our biology because the way our eyes are situated in our heads we naturally see ourselves apart from as uh, rather than a part of apart from whatever we're looking at whether it's another person or an animal or nature in general whatever it happens to be and that ha- seems to be part of this collapse of human civilization into what you're calling cruelty and narrowness and it it seems and I'd love to get your take on this. It seems to me that at this point in our history, and I don't mean American history, I mean human kinds mm. history, at, at this point in our history, it seems inevitable, it's like unavoidable, we are going to have this dark night, this crucifixion of our species brought upon brought on by this ignorance and arrogance and the fear that drives us to all this cruelty. What what's your sense of that?
1: Well, my my sense is, I mean, I, I don't know about that that that's interesting Einstein's take on that. I don't know if I'm more in the camp of of that we're innately wired to connect, and that so many of the things that we do and the fear that we follow block us and 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 make that other part of us dominant. i I feel I feel like we're we're in a place where, We have been almost a a perfect storm of dislocation and insulation. And therefore we have, you know, it's our turn. Every generation I feel, you know, we have this, we have our pandemic, our parents' generation had World War II. Every generation has some occasion, pointed occasion. Are we gonna choose love over fear? Are we going to see how we're, what we have in common or how we're different? And, you know, what causes us to see difference as a problem and not as something to be heralded? Thank God you're not me. Why, why, you know, teach me what I don't know. Help me here. And so... I, I kind of feel that this is all real and very strident and very difficult. And I feel like we'll humanity will get through it, maybe not in this form. Who knows what will happen to us? But I, I do feel that, oh, how do I say this? That, that I, get, I guess there's progress and there's incarnation. In, and I believe more in incarnation than progress. So let me say what I mean by that. You know, progress is clearly the, externally, out in the world, the attempt to leave the world a little better for the next generation. So you know, a very quick kind of hypothetical little story is a, a, a group, a wandering tribe, they, the elders find this mountain, this plateau, and they want to settle there so that their children will always have a view, a vast view of eternity and vastness. So they settle there and they clear all the trees. And then the next generation is born, they don't have to clear the trees. That's progress. But the fact that no one can see for anybody, that's incarnation. So regardless, those children have to open their eyes and see. They have to open their hearts and love. And so every generation, regardless of how many magnificent tools we have, we got to start all over again and love each other forward. And so I'm,
2: yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Well, just one more. You know, when I was doing this, is within another book, but I discovered in doing some research about community that back in the Dark Ages in Europe, we 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 are so self-centered in the West. We like to say it's the Dark Ages all over, but it was only Europe. The rest of the world was pretty enlightened back then. <laughs> but the Dark Ages in Europe, only ten percent of the population, European population, was literate. That means 10% kept literacy alive for th- over 300 years. And I feel like when we're awake, because we take turns being awake, when we're awake, it's our turn now to keep the literacy of the heart alive in this very difficult time.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I just think I'm, I'm not going to rely on it. I mean, in the parable that you gave us, you know, where they're on the plateau and they cut down all the trees, I'm thinking, well, that's it. <laughs> now they have no trees. Right. So now they're really in trouble. And right. that's, that's what we've been doing. Let's have a better view of the parking lot by cutting right. down all the trees. But I, I like your idea that, that, you know, 10% of the population, you know, sort of save the rest. I don't know if you've ever read it, but Thomas Cahill's book, "How the Irish Saved Civilization." No, I haven't. It's a. I must be a lot older than you, but <laughs> <laughs> it's an older book. He's got a really wonderful series. He talks about the Irish. He's got a book on the Jews. He's got a book on the Ro- the Greeks. Really fascinating guy. But how the Irish saved civilization? It's about that period, the Dark Ages, where in the Irish Catholic monasteries. The monks were preserving books. They weren't necessarily themselves literate, but they were copyists. Yeah. And they were saving not just Christian books, they were saving Aristotle and, you know, all kinds of important material that we could rediscover later. And without them, you know, civilization would not have progressed at all, probably. So at least that's, that's how I remember the book. That was the the premise of the book as I remember it but today we're burning books. Yeah. Today, the librarians are on the front line of the hate squad. I mean, it, it's, I, I used to love, I wanted to be a journalist and then I wanted to be a librarian. Then I realized those are very hard careers. So I ended up being a rabbi, but, <laughs> you know, and now a podcast host I and mean, I'm just evolving into the more, you know, the, the less work, the the better for me. But you know, the, I, I look at those professions now and I see them as absolutely essential to the survival of our species. Yeah. And yet they're being attacked everywhere.
0: Well,
1: uh, you know, one, of the, one of the things that I tried to explore in there, one of the kind of fault lines, as I put it, in our, in our society is this, this loss of, of reality, the dissolution of reality and how, you know, with the, and nobody kind of planned it, but it seems to have, have happened how, you know, back when reality TV, quote, started, you know, before that, movies and stories and cinema were understood as fables and myths as to, gi- to give us a relief from reality. Then there was a confusion between what was real and what was not, and now, now, and now, with Trump and Trumpism, there's a, there's an actual concerted effort to replace reality with falsehood, and it's absolutely insane. It's absolutely yeah. up upside yeah, I, down. I,
2: I found your your comments on reality TV very interesting. So, since I'm on this, I'm an old man. Kick. There was a. I, I guess today we call it a reality TV show called Queen for a Day. Uh-huh. Does, that ring, does that ring a bell? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and they found the most, oh, I don't know, people with, with these terrible burdens in their life. It was, it was all women. And these women were just suffering from the contingencies of life. And And the audience would applaud to determine which woman was the worst off. And yeah. that woman would get the prize. You know, so so back then, I don't know. This must be the 50s, 60s. We 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 recognize suffering, and then I mean, of the three contestants, however many there were, and and we tried to alleviate suffering for at least one of them. Today, and I think there's an ex, there's an, an alternative show on the air, but today it's the opposite. It's just it's winning at all costs on these reality shows, and you lie and you cheat, and it's all scripted in there, even though they they want you to believe it's unscripted, but all the, all the, the, the narcissism that's on display, whether it's, you know, whatever Trump's show was, and now he just lost the name of it. Yeah, The Apprentice. The Apprentice, right? You know, whether it was that or, or some, some of these other shows, I mean, it's, it's, we've, we've lost our sense of compassion. And the only show I think that still has it, though, Queen for a Day is, I mean, it's suffering porn. It's, you know, it, it's just, it, it revels in other people's suffering. Yeah, You get the show Undercover Boss, and that's a contemporary show where, you know, the boss of a multi, you know, giant company goes and, and disguises herself and goes out and, and tries to find out what it's like to be a worker in the company. And then at the end, they reveal themselves and they help out the workers that they've chosen to help out. And they can give them tens of thousands of dollars to help with their various problems. And I watched the show and I think, you know, that's great. I have, I you know, that's very generous, but maybe you should improve the company. Right. <laughs> maybe you should find, <laughs> and, and there, was this the only person that you found or the three people that you found and all the people you met that are worthy of your largesse? It's just like the king being gracious to whomever the king wants to be gracious and everyone else, you're just serfs and we don't really care. I mean, there's something wrong with our, with our reality TV, that creates this this.
1: I'm well, hoping it's, it's, not, a fake it's reality. not reality. You yeah, know, it, right. it's really not reality. It's it's voyeurism, and and you know, I was make tried to make this point in in that that part of the book too. That you know, it dissipates legitimate energy for a better life. You know, In, yeah, right. in, in Roman times, the Colosseum, the the, the the horrible Colosseum where gladiators were killed by lions and Christians and all of that, that was deliberate on the Romans' part to dissipate rebellious energy and so that the masses wouldn't have the energy to speak up for a better life. Right. Bread and
2: circus. It's the same
1: now. Right. I don't think anybody consciously has done that. But in our time, reality TV is like a virtual coliseum. We we have the illusion that we're participating in community, you know we're voting we're we're rooting as if we have a relationship, and then we expend all this energy and we turn the t v off and we're all alone, nothing's happened,
2: yeah yeah i mean it's it's like neil postman's amusing ourselves to death, yeah you know, that's, it's all bread and circus and and we and we we volunteer for this. I mean, we, it's not like someone's making me watch these. I mean, I don't watch them actually, but I'm just superior. But, <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: but I, think yeah. this, I think this also one of the things about about modern technology and the news is it's wonderful that we have immediate access to everything around the world. But the 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 real burden is like take when when the towers went down. My, my wife Susan and I were in Montreal when that happened, and we were coming home. And so we were packing our bags when we happened to see it, we had the TV on. So of course, everyone, all of us saw that image of the plane going into the tower hundreds of times. Well, that's the capacity to do that is fine. If hundreds of different people see it once, I don't need to see, I need to see it once where I feel it in my heart. And then I have to internalize it, and when I see it hundreds of times, it it numbs me, it it dissociates me from the truth, rather than bringing me closer. So part of the part of our job, if you will, inwardly, is to is to stop, because the the technology won't. Right. So we have to stop. And and so this is kind of like we I think we're in a place where we, we need to develop kind of spiritual aerobics. You know, I mean, physical aerobics, you know, 200 years ago, we didn't have electricity and we had to cut wood and build a fire. And, you know, so we didn't have to we didn't we got a lot of exercise. So. Now that we don't, I don't wanna go back. I, I like having electricity and heat, but we have to then do yoga or jog or go to the gym. Well, I think we're at a place where the, the inadvertent undercurrents of the modern world, we need, we need to develop spiritual aerobics so that we're not swept in the undertow of technology And we lose our our sense of what's real and our sense of compassion and our sense of of each other. I mean, you know, like if I, a very simple thing about like uh, knowing what's real. I mean, if I put my hand in the water, I don't have to ask you if it's wet. I know what wet is.
0: Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly,
1: All right, it's a little different with intangible things, but I know what pain is. I know what love is. I know what confusion is. How do we start to reconstruct our direct... There there are facts. There are truths. Well, that's
2: the question, right? I mean, that's what's happening. Are there facts anymore? When When you watch like the Twin Towers go down over and over and over and over again, partly it's numbing. Yeah, partly it can be used for propaganda to get us to invade Afghanistan. Partly, it also triggers the 9-11 truther movement, you know, <laughs> because you see it and you say, wait a minute, I, you know, I saw it one way and now I think I saw it a different way and now this can't be happening. It's all fake. I mean, it, it's really bizarre. And, and I, I, I'm not blaming anyone or anything because it's my choice to do the, you know, to watch it a hundred times. I watch the news, you know, mostly CNN or MSNBC or whatever, but I, I watch the news and I watch it with a, what I hope is a Neil Postman sensibility. When I read his book on, you know, how the news operates, amusing ourselves to death. And, and one of the things you notice is you've got the talking head telling you whatever they're telling you. Then you've got the chyron down below giving you another story. Right. So you've got two new stories. Then you've got all the graphic images floating around in the background. Even if they're abstract, just for whatever reason, they're moving. It, it's just this mind-numbing kind of thing. And then, you know, it's like 17,000 people were destroyed in this blah, 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 whatever it was. We'll be right back after this. And then yeah. it cuts to and depends on the time of day and whoever the Nielsen ratings is telling the the network, you know, this is your audience at this time of day. Either it's a disease you never heard of, that, oh my God, I could have this disease, you know, medicine you ought to take. You know, these weird things that that are geared, much many of them are, are geared to me and, and my age group. And you know, I, I love to listen to the ads, and they tell you about whatever the drug is, and then very fast underneath, this drug could cause the following you're side right. effects, and they go through, and goes, including death. You know, is it, well, wait, is it is if, it?
1: If you die, uh, call us, right? <laughs> yes, right, right. <laughs> including oh, death. I think, but this is a, you're bringing up another good example that that. You know, everything, the, the inadvertent characteristics of technology, which are not values, they're just default characteristics, are, take us out of the moment. They split us, they dissociate us. And so all, all the traditions speak about things that matter still take time. We need to be wholehearted. We need to be in present. We need to recenter ourselves. And so all of these things are not abstract; they're actually tools that we need to enlist to counter this this fracture that's coming at us all the time, all the time. And 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 it is tr- it true; it's everywhere. And so I think when when I when I look around, I think without some kind, and it doesn't matter what we ground ourselves in, in terms of a tradition or even even, you know, like I'm, I'm you know, Jewish and I feel such a tie to the Jewish heritage, but I'm a student of all paths. And, you know, that came out of my cancer journey when, you know, I almost died in my 30s. And, and I was so blessed to have people from every path, and including informal and formal and atheists and indigenous people offer me some kind of help. So when I woke up still here, I was not. And all these years later, I'm still not wise enough to know what worked or what didn't. So I feel like I was challenged to believe in everything. Mm. And and so I see, you know, these tools that each each tradition, you know, offers us. And, and why it is overwhelming when we look at all of this, this perfect storm that no one quite intended, and yet we all participated in. But, you know, I think like Mother Teresa, one of her things she said was courage was doing small things with love. Like if we can, how do we re- stop, slow down, re- reconnect with, with the, the essence of life? Because without that reverence for life, and we're seeing it everywhere... People who are lost, and we all take turns being lost, we mistake intensity for meaning. Right. It's just intensity. It's stimulation. It's not meaning. Yeah.
2: I think, I think it's Hunter Thompson says, faster and faster until the thrill of speed obliterates the fear of death. Uh, So it's a beautiful. That's, and I probably misquoted him, but that's the idea that we're looking for that thrill and no thrill lasts more than a few seconds. So you got to get another one. The alternative, it seems to me, is what you call walking radically in the world. Mm, I mean, I think that's what you're talking about. So, I mean, you talk about being in the world with respect, amazement, and innocence. So tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Well, it's, and, and, you know, when I take I look at the word radical and I'm, I'm interested in the origins of words, not because I'm a word geek, but because I have found that the origins of words are tend to be much more whole and helpful. That words actually erode like nature over time, you know, and so if we can go back. It's usually more helpful. And so the word radical, which we take politically to mean, you know, completely upending from the norm and progressing so quickly. But that's not, the word radical actually means in forming a root, inherent to a root. So to be radical is to be concerned with the growth of our roots. And, you know, I I, I talk about Abraham Heschel's no, notion of radical amazement. And yes, and innocence and, and respect means to look again inspect means to look in and respect means to look again so this this whole sense of how do we in a ver- and i think this comes out of my cancer journey i'm very interested in in always how does this live in our lives in very particular ways which so there's no how to but how can we whoever's listening or you know what does this look like in your life what does it look like to to engage in in radical respect, looking, looking at what matters, all over again, kind of regaining the innocence. Like every one of us is an Adam and Eve all over again. And and you know I can't be that all the time, because I'm human. But when I when I fall off, or when I'm confused, or when I am numb, or when I can't see clearly, what for me that means I give my full attention to whatever's before me wholeheartedly until it becomes my teacher. It, it could be dust on the window. And not only is it break myself reference, but it, it, it gets my toe back into the water of life. I realize again, despite all the things that record and replay over and over, that, wow, this moment has never happened. This is all real. This is all live and and always you know great love and great suffering have been the great teachers that kind of break us of our self-reference and and bring us back to ground to real ground where i say my god i'm here and you are tell me who you are what's what is this all about what's going on
2: if if people could answer that question I
1: mean, yeah. You know, who and, are you? Well, even if we can't answer the question, just to be in it.
2: Yeah. Okay. To be in it. But what what I'm thinking is that a lot of us have been fed a faux answer—the answer that society wants, the answer that your political party wants, the answer. But, and and you, and we don't recognize who we really are. I mean, from my perspective, you're really a manifesting of you know absolute reality, God, whatever you want to call it. But you know, we're fed.
1: Well and this goes I mean you absolutely I think that's so true. And this has been happening forever. It goes back to Plato's analogy of the cave. Right? I mean that that's the whole the whole story that, you know, the, the, the people in the cave, the priest is is feeding people what they should believe, what they should see, and the one guy, you know, he doesn't even rebel. It's like his chain's just eroded and he's suddenly he doesn't even know what this sensation is. He's free.
2: Right. I think the the 21st century version of Plato's cave is, you know, VR in, in an Oculus.
1: <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, well, you know, I mean, and this is the thing that's so frightening, right? You know, Facebook finally caught with the goods, challenged with their falsehood and greed, and what's their response? To change their name and run from reality. Yeah, excellent observation. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> To say no, well, okay, well then we'll we'll just all get out of here. Right. Well, it never it never works.
2: Yeah. It, it it never works. So we're we're I'm cognizant of the time and, and we're coming up on the end of our podcast, but gonna stretch it a little bit because you write at the very end of the book, or before I even tell you what you wrote. <laughs> <And then> you <laughs> tell the listener what you wrote. I was reminded by the end of the book of what Aldous Huxley said near the end of his life. I think it's Aldous Huxley, where someone says, so what have you learned? And he says, I'm embarrassed, and I'm paraphrasing, but I'm embarrassed to say from all my experience and all, all my my spiritual work, the only advice I have to give is to be kind to one another. Uh. And, you know, that's sort, of, that's sort of it. Like the Dalai Lama, Says religion, his religion is kindness. Yeah. And, and you bring the book to a close with the notion of love. And I'm going to ask you to, to close out the show in a minute, a couple of minutes, by reading from that last couple of paragraphs. But talk to us a little bit about why, I mean, about love and why you ended the book there.
1: Well, because I feel like, you know, love, I said, you know, everyone has said this in a different way. But, you know, love, love is the, the, the invisible current of spirit. You know, I feel like everything, everything, you know, when when I almost died from cancer, you know, everything was reduced to the how, how alive could I be and who could I hold in touch in the moment that's left? That was it. And, and, and the reward for that is, of course, on one level, belonging, fullness, contentment. But also it led me to discover that kindness, there's no, it's no accident that kindness and kinship share the same root. Because one of the rewards for kindness and love, it's, um, it gives us access to the experience of oneness in a felt way it allows us to embody our the oneness of things how everything is connected and this is and the sensation of oneness for me is joy hmm. is joy so you know i had a moment just this summer you know my wife susan we don't have children but we have a very spoiled yellow lab and just the other day we have a hammock and our dog loves to jump in the hammock when we go in there with us and So Susan was in there and our dog Zuzu jumped in the hammock and they didn't I was on the deck. They didn't realize I so was watching them. And I was watching Susan talking and petting Zuzu, the light on them, the hammock swaying. And I said, Where where else is there to go? This is heaven. Hmm. This is it. What else is there to do? And you know, we run, we go through all the things we talked about until we're broken or loved are tripped, and, and we're reduced to joy, and we're wow. reduced to joy. And I think eventually, for all the destruction and difficulty that's going on, we will re- be reduced to joy yet one more time.
2: Well, that that is a beautiful way to put it. I'm assuming that it's Zuzu that is the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I am a dog person and I don't think there is a heaven without dogs. You can have a heaven without people, but not, <laughs> not without not without dogs. So let, let's let bring, we have to bring the, the show to a close. And I'd still like to do it the way I thought we would do it. And that's sure. the, the last page of the book. The chapter is called The Love of Everything. And we don't have time to read the whole, the whole thing. But starting with the only thing left to say, let's yeah. start with that and read yeah. to the end. And I think we'll leave, leave our listeners with, you know, hopefully a desire to read this book, Surviving Storms.
1: Thank thank you. The only thing left to say is that after more than 70 years, I confess that even when struggling, even when lost, I have never stopped loving everything. And this has enabled me to inhabit life authentically. In the beginning, there were goals I was taught to work toward. And these longings for worth were honed in time into personal ambitions, which all fell away. For staying true to the love of everything as our teacher has turned out to be the most enduring ambition of all. This love has made me get up when I have fallen and has given me the strength to enter the breaks in my heart where I have retrieved my gifts. And so I have very little to offer beyond the affirmation that unending love without preference will lead us to drink from the mystery without leaving the world. Unending love without intent will fill every contour of existence the way light fills every hole. So there is very little to teach, just that love awakens everything and care erases the walls we keep building between us.
2: Our guest today, Mark Nepo, is Zuzu the golden retriever's dad <laughs> and the author of Surviving Storms: Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. You can learn more about his work at marknepo.com, and you can read his essay Our Walk in the World in the July-August issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Mark, thanks so much for talking with us on the Spirituality and Health podcast.
1: Oh, it's a joy. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Spirituality and Health Podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Trupiano. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. And if you're not already a subscriber to Spirituality and Health Magazine, please become one at spiritualityhealth.com.